On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we continue our discussion, The State of Caregiving, with CEO Trent Cockrum and Mark Hensley, Associate State Director for Community Outreach and Advocacy, Triad Region, with AARP North Carolina. When we last left them, Mark and Trent were discussing the role of family dynamics on the caregiver and how they ultimately affect the support provided to a loved one. As we rejoin them, Trent and Mark begin unpacking possible solutions to this universal and daunting issue that is caregiving. Let's listen in. As we put this spotlight on caregiving in particular, what are the solutions that are beginning to happen now? And and I suspect they're really rooted in things that began happening a decade or more ago, right? Yes. So it's actually about two decades ago when the Older Americans Act, that's a piece of federal legislation that supports programs like Meals on Wheels, senior center programs, et cetera, they added a new title uh, in that reauthorization and the term caregiver was used and it was caregiver support program, um, relatively small, but it was a start. Now, here we are over 20 years later um, and the the new baby boomers are really coming of, of age. They're coming in that demographic shift where people like you and I who used to be in our 20s are now in our 50s or close to it, and we're seeing things differently. So let me start off by saying that um, there's a lot going on at at a higher level. So possible solutions and assistance include um, at the national level, the RAISE Family Caregiver Advisory Council. That was formed in 2018 by Congress. And their job was to come together and be a think tank and come up with recommendations for really how to address unpaid caregivers. They came up with five goals and 26 recommendations. And I want to touch on those. First of all, um, uh, is person-centered support. So support for the caregiver themselves with uh, community-based assistance whether it be in the home or through education. And often this is empowerment for those older, for those caregivers. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is because this is a pocketbook issue. How can we do financial support without just handing out checks? Right. So right now, Congress is looking at a tax break. This is a tax break, whether you work full time or you work part time or you don't work at all that if you can show that you are caregiving and using your own funds for that caregiving, then you can get, I believe it's right now, a $5,000 tax break, but it's currently being um, debated. And I want to say a little bit about why recently, very recently, AARP's think tank, we have a public policy institute that, that really determines the impact of things like caregiving on our country. And what was found in a, in a recent survey is that the average amount that a caregiver spends of their own money on caregiving is over $7,200. So this wow. tax break is a really, really great um, support that, you know, we hear about tax credits for children, 
This is the first time we're looking at for a caregiver. Number three, clear pathways to care transition in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really talking about uh, something that I'm passionate about is in North Carolina, we, we have an institutional bias. What does that big word mean? It means it's easier to go to long-term care for, and get paid for by Medicaid than it is to stay at home, get community-based supports paid by Medicaid. Um, we really need pathways for transitioning people appropriately back into the home, into PACE programs mm-hmm. or other programs that are not institutional care. All right. The fourth one is a biggie, and it's a biggie for me because respite care is truly intermittent relief from your caregiving. It may be time for you to go shopping or go get your hair done or just it could be overnight relief, so you can have a, a night of deep sleep and rest, or sitter services. Um, we know, for example, hospice is amazing what they come in and provide hands-on care, but it is not within their policy to allow the family member to leave. And mm-hmm. the idea of respite is that you get a break, you get to leave your caregiving situation for a period of time. And so increase in funding for that. And then the fifth one is sustainable s- solutions. And, and, you know, I like analogies, but um, putting Band-Aids over bullet holes is just not sustainable, that we have to have a systems transformation, which could include a number of things. Um, and, and those, it's, it's really coming down to a unified strategy that the National Alliance on Caregiving has launched where each state being unified has some type of a caregiver task force and coming up with real solutions within each state. So that's currently underway. Um, Another side of these sustainable solutions, and this is in no way to hurt anybody's feelings, but there are two other areas and that is Medicaid expansion. I was gonna ask you about Medicaid expansion. Medicaid expansion, and and I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, if you're a public official and you are not standing in the light of how you can make life better for your citizens, then maybe you should take a different path. This would expand benefits to people who are near or at poverty to the tune of half a million people. And these are people, we're not talking about welfare recipients that, you know, go buy cigarettes. We're talking about people that are bedridden, that are home, that don't have the luxury of going out. What a huge difference that that would make. And it would also make a huge difference for those people who go to the doctor who have been on Medicaid and now they're on Medicare and they're actually having to pay more out of pocket for their Medicare uh, co-pays than they did under Medicaid. You know, I think it's important for folks who are listening to this, who um, are hearing this this, uh, conversation related to Medicaid expansion, of which North Carolina has not participated in um, uh, uh, as yet. Um, And and we conceptualize that it is for um, these categorically needy individuals who may receive, you know, a significant um, amount of other social support, right, for children and things like that. But when you when you actually look at it, a large percentage of North Carolina's Medicaid spending is actually on long-term uh, care supports and services, which is really for 
individuals who are aged and infirmed. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're talking about um, this aging population um, and we're talking about the, the, the resources that are available to them. Um, and I think that, that it, it, it can't, I can't underscore enough the importance of thinking about that very large population where the expenditures are incredibly large, larger by proportionate share than, than um, other individuals that we might otherwise think about in a very stereotypical way, which I think is a horrible thing to do, but something that we do anyway, uh, because, uh, because the, the folks who actually need it are really the people we're talking about now. It's mm -hmm. aged individuals, it's support for the caregivers who are actually providing this at the bedside um, support. And as, as we mentioned, you know, North Carolina has not, has not yet expanded Medicaid. And I think we would, would agree, at least you and I would agree that it, that it would seem to go a long way to help achieve some of these five pillars that have been identified at a federal level. Fair? Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. And, and, and one more sustainable solution is employers have not been at the table on this. If I had one wish, it would be for employers and their HR departments to step back and realize we have a workforce that we need to accommodate. They need flexible work schedules. They need to be have telework options. Um, they need affinity groups, meaning like a caregiver support group within the company. Their HR department needs to have connectivity. Uh, for example, Blue Cross Blue Shield has a contract with 211 that if their employees need resources in the community, 211 will actually provide that kind of relationship support. It can be done with other employers. Um, mm -hmm. For employers to acknowledge the fact that the way to have a happy, productive workforce is by giving them the flexibility they need and the, the resources to continue to provide care and work. You know, I have to say, Mark, that as an as in our own organization in this last year, we've taken a really strong look at that and and really identified opportunities in that very space. What what it was born out of really was um, realizing that um, that we have a a workforce that had children, many of whom were not in school, but we've begun to realize that we can extend that flexibility to an innumerable amount of considerations um, that are related to caregiving in particular. Um, and I think, I, I think we as an organization have understood that likely not as well as we could have, and certainly not on the scale of Blue Cross, but, but still something that I think is important. You know, one of the things that doesn't escape me as we were talking about the, the five pillars of the, of the, uh, um, of the raised family caregiving uh, advocacy council that was formed in 2018 is that 80% of individuals, if given a choice, would rather be at home as opposed to in an institution. And, and I think it's important for me to say, there's nothing wrong with institutional care. Uh, we, we cannot function without some form of institutional care. I think that's an important thing to mention. It provides an invaluable healthcare uh, service because at some point, it may become, you know, necessary to have institutional care, but 80% of people still would rather be at home. And don't we sort of have a responsibility to help make that a possibility for them, if at all possible? I would think so. I think you would agree with that. Absolutely. Um, and those are the kind of solutions that are person-centered, they're community-centered, and they're more cost-effective. Mm -hmm. 
So go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, we, we know, we know from our own work in a variety of different spaces, in particular, the palliative care space, which is um, not the same sort of, it's a similar space as hospice, but not the same thing. Um, we know that we can deliver um, services to individuals who have significant utilization um, prior to their engagement with us in the palliative space, and we can decrease their utilization and improve their quality of life. So to your point, it is a less resource intensive delivery of care. In some ways it is, we're just talking about be applying um, some forethought in order to create a sustainable and responsible approach. We, we don't have to recreate the wheel. We, we've, we've got a mechanism to do some of these things. It's just putting, uh, putting the pieces all together in a way that makes sense, right? So the clock is ticking. And we're talking now, you and I've been talking about the current state of things. Yeah. I want to really focus on some numbers. And this is not opinion. This is fact. And the fact is, if you right now are 80 or older, there are statistically about seven and a half middle-aged people for every 80 and older North Carolinian. Seven and a half people for every 80-year-old person. Yep. And okay. we loosely define middle age as age 46 to 64 ish. Um, and so you got a pretty good chance right now of having the availability of an unpaid caregiver. Yeah. What we have focused on, as you mentioned earlier in this uh, discussion, we were so focused on the baby boomer and we, we stopped using silver tsunami because it was like big water kills lots of people. So let's get away from that. But the <laughs> boom in the baby boomer population was what we focused on. And then it's been about maybe six years ago, we started looking at what comes after the boom. And the right. fact of the matter is families are smaller. I'll give you an example. My grandfather was one of 12. My mother was one of four. I'm one of one. Right. That snapshot is what has happened in this country. So if you jump ahead to 2040, you have, and you're 80 years old, you're going to only have about three people that are middle-aged to every 80-year-old. So that big boom in population behind it is a huge population decrease, meaning that our healthcare system will be more have more demand because the vast majority of people are going to be 80 and older. Right. So and already 89 of our our uh, 100 counties have more people um, 60 and older than 19 and younger. We're not repopulating this country or this state. Yeah, I know just even in the Piedmont Triad region, um, deaths as a whole are are we are almost at that point where deaths are outpacing births. Um, and that is a perhaps a very, based on what you said, that is perhaps an even more terrifying consideration. But when you think of, I have to ask this question, is there time to fix this? And should we be frightened? I mean, some people have cringed when I've said this, but the best thing that came out of the pandemic was some systems changes, was the call to attention to the flaws in our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, the fact that now is the call to action, the call to action that we're seeing at a national, state, and local level, and organizations like yours that are really putting the mirror up and saying, 
where can we close the gap? How can we do things more efficiently? Um, uh, you know, the, the pandemic has taught us a lot. And, you know, uh, we've mentioned all these different uh, groups, but there are solutions out there. And I'm happy to see, as I published in this article, that what is underway is very promising. That is incredibly encouraging to hear the fact that, you know, although it's been two decades in the, in the, in the works, we perhaps now have reached a point of acceleration where there is a, a greater sense of urgency for this. If, you know, because what I, what I realize as we've talked about this whole caregiving conundrum, for lack of a better word, um, is that, is that it really is a problem born out of necessity, but it is a selfless, the act of caregiving is a selfless solution to this problem of necessity. A helping hand and a listening ear can go a long way in supporting someone who is caring for another. Sometimes it is just the smallest of gestures that can be the most impactful. If you are interested in joining our caregiver support team as a volunteer, we want to hear from you. Call us at 336-889-8446 or visit us online at www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org to learn more. And now let's get back to the conversation. So your own organization, AARP, um, we haven't talked about AARP. Um, uh, AARP is a very, uh, for lack of a better word, a very loud voice. It has a very large voice. Um, and so as we begin to see a significant amount of national attention on this, what do you hear from your AARP members who are what, 50? AARP begins at 50, right? Uh, 50, 50 years and older. What are you hearing from your members as the largest priority? So the largest priority often starts with pocketbook issues. So mm-hmm. for them, it's, you know, the, the fear of in increased utility rates, which affect their parents and them. Um, uh, Being able to have secure retirement and then this concern about mom and dad. And so what we try to teach is being proactive. Uh Not only are we the loudest voice on Capitol Hill and the loudest voice in each state legislature about the issues, we are nonpartisan. We work with both sides of the aisle. But the other part of it is unpaid caregivers have to prepare themselves. And I'm specifically talking about having advanced directives in place, your wills, powers of attorney, et cetera. Those key documents need to be prepared, negotiated with your loved one and uh, completed before the other shoe drops. When you Mm -hmm. wait for that other shoe to drop, then you're sitting in an ER You don't have power of attorney. Your loved one can't speak for themselves. The bank, then if there's, um, you know, there's issues with access to money. And, you know, when you you give your Medicare card, you still got to have some copay. So it starts to get really, really messy. And you don't want to try to call in the elder law attorney to make those decisions. And then the elder law attorney says, you know, I'm sorry, but your loved one has enough cognitive impairment. They can't give you this power. So do it ahead of time. Be prepared. Um, That is the big thing. And then also AARP's biggest program is called Prepare to Care. And it's a five-step process about having the conversation, 
getting ready for the caregiving, making a plan, and then really being able to sleep at night that when things happen, and uh, Americans have a little bit of problem, we think we're going to live forever. I got news for everybody. It's not <laughs> the way it works. This is this is a gig you don't get out of alive. So right. being prepared, not just for your loved ones, but for yourself and your spouse and your own family. Right. You know, um, you you talk about how messy it can become. Uh, I think it's also fair to, in my own experience, I'm working with families across 25 years or so. It's really confusing because most people are not nurses, doctors, and lawyers. Um, so they don't necessarily understand all of the medical ease that's happening at the time of a crisis. Uh, they may not understand the the, leg, the legal responsibilities that they may need to have. And so it, it creates this confounded effect, right? Um, which is not only messy, but very confusing um, because it can be, as you cited, a pocketbook issue, can be very expensive. And once you reach a certain point, the navigation of the healthcare system, thinking about smooth transitions across a healthcare continuum, um, which I think is desperately needed. Um, when you when you think about that, um, navigating the healthcare system after a certain point is more difficult than just going to the doctor and paying a copay. It it involves real pocketbook issues related to uh, you know assets and total assets and liquid assets and, and, and cash reserves and uh, these really complicated terms that people are, are, have, a, have a real need, if not a sense of, should have a sense of urgency to begin understanding now um, as they're even thinking about contemplating caring for somebody. That, that's my own sort of two cents worth for that. Um, uh, so, Mark, what are a few, we've been talking gosh, for about 50 minutes, I feel like we could talk for another hour. But what are a few final thoughts that you would like to share? Maybe some things we didn't talk about that you think are the most important things that you um, in your professional um, uh, in your professional capacity or as a representative from ARP or in your own personal life would like to share for those who might be listening to this to make them an even more informed individual or even a better caregiver. So a lot of these are not sexy topics, and so people are not drawn to them, but I employ um, anyone listening to this, the first step is to get educated. Um, go and, and research and find out. First biggest confusion point, people think that Medicare pays for long-term care. Oh, I'll be fine. I have Medicare. Medicare is socialized medicine for older adults. It does not cover long-term care, it does cover to a degree something called rehab. If you, if you can improve outside of a hospital, they'll pay sometimes more than 100 days. But if that individual plateaus, meaning they're not getting any better and they're not able to go home, guess what? You're faced with a placement in long-term care. Medicaid is, is individually for each state, it's a state's run program with some federal funding, but each state has limits on income. It has limits on assets. And the best way to find out is to, to contact 
um, either an options counselor at a senior center, mm -hmm. contact um, your local Department of Social Services, and know that there are two different types of Medicaid. There's home and community-based Medicaid, and then there's institutional Medicaid. Two very different because People think, well, I make too much. My, 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 my mama makes too much money. She's above poverty. She can't get Medicaid. If she's, in a, if she's really assessed as needing skilled care, as long as mama doesn't make more than the, than the monthly fee for nursing care, then Medicaid's going to pick up the difference. Mm -hmm. And there's some other nuances about how much you can have in the bank. If you don't know where to go to, for help, as I mentioned before, in North Carolina, all 100 counties have access to 211. Dialing 211 allows you to share your situation with a live person 24 hours, seven days a week, and then they provide you resources. They'll email them to you. They will text them to you. Um, they, and there's also your local councils on aging. Um, there's resources in every county. I can't say enough. But we have the best senior center network in the country. And that was by design. They are kind of a one-stop shop of where to go. That's number one is education. Number two is making a plan. Um, I, I have a statement that I've used in presentations. One of my presentations is titled, Hope is Not a Plan. Oh, we just hope and pray everything's going to be okay. Well, that's great. But the reality is if you don't make a plan, if you don't know where, how much your parents are worth, if you don't know where the assets are, the insurance policies, all of that, passwords to get into bank accounts, all of that information is preparation. So it's getting a trusting relationship. And I've mentioned prepare to care. Uh, prepare to care just lays it out very simple in five steps with templates to complete. But don't get called in the hospital ER without your power of attorney your plan to know what does your loved one want. And that gets into the your advanced directives mm -hmm. so that you're not asked to make a very difficult decision about giving um, life-sustaining treatment, which I will mention is very expensive. And as we mentioned, we don't know how invasive it is to that loved one because they're often not conscious. Mm -hmm. um, if they make those decisions, then you can follow their wishes. And then the third thing is to be a good student. Everything you are doing for someone else, someone is going to have to do for you. So keep in mind your own mortality, your own yeah. family dynamics, and set yourself up for success. Well, uh, thank you, Mark. You know, you described it as uh, the topic that some of the things we were talking about are not terribly gr glamorous. Neither is cleaning my house, but it's essential if I want to sort of, you know, uh, have a be able to have guests over or just not trip over things that are in the floor. So, I mean, if you think about it as such a basic need as cleaning your own house or cleaning your kitchen or washing your dishes, then this becomes just sort of a, a sort of a, a primary responsibility and making a plan, thinking these things through thoughtfully, engaging in these conversations. Mark, it has been a real pleasure to have this conversation with you today. Um, I'm so glad we've gotten connected. I appreciate your coming and joining me today for this incredibly informative conversation. Um, and I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for joining us for part two of our discussion, The State of Caregiving. Join us next time for The Face of Caregiving as Trent speaks with Ursula Robinson, Executive Director of PACE of the Triad, to discuss the similarities and differences between professional caregiving and personal caregiving. Their conversation will dive deeper into the perspective shift that caregivers experience, the institutional challenges they face, and the strategies for self-care during caregiving. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.